hey, you're listening to Chew On That, and here's what we're chewing on today. And he did that because, as my pastor used to say, Paul, he was shackled to great expectations. He lived his life looking past his oppression toward God's opportunity. You're not going to want to miss what happens next in a message we're calling The Division. Hi, welcome to Chew on That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church, uh, and you are joining us um, for a podcast where each week uh, we break down some of the highlights of the most recent message from Life Church's sermon series. The current one is defining the church, and uh, so this week we're going to talk about um, a sermon from Pastor Sean called The Division, and joining me today is my very special friend, uh, Becky Alcatar. Say hi, Becky. Hello, Becky. I'm so glad that you guys are here. <laughs> well, I mean, just that you're here. Why would I say you guys are here? I don't know. It's just Becky. There's no one else presence. here. <laughs> Becky doesn't have multiple personalities that we've talked about, but uh, anyway, I'm glad that you're here. Becky, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so my name is Becky Alcantar. I am one of the pastors at Life Church, specifically over a program we have here uh, called Journey to Wholeness, which helps people find practical and scriptural tools to help them in their Jesus journey. Uh, we've been here at Life Church for 10 years. That's insane. So we predate Pastor Sean and Sonny. Wow. <laughs> uh, but uh, have been here on staff for about three to four years. I'm losing track now. Hmm. That's awesome. And so, and you're married? I'm married. Uh, yeah. So we just celebrated our 26th anniversary oh, that's in August. Yes. That's a lot. That's a whole lifetime. Um, and we have three children. Our oldest is just turned 18 this month as well. It's yes. an eventful month for the Alcantars. And uh, she's heading to college. We're going to be wow. dropping her off in the next week. Uh, and then our, our younger daughter is a junior. Our youngest son is in middle school. So we have mm. a full house. That's so awesome. Awesome. Uh, tell me, um, like, you are you from the area? We are originally from the Milwaukee area. So uh, I was born and raised. My husband actually immigrated from Mexico ah. uh, to the Milwaukee area because, you know, naturally that's where right. everyone goes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he's been here since he was, I believe, seven years old. Uh, wow. So grew up here in Wisconsin. So we're Wisconsin people. We've been in Green Bay, though, as long as we've been married. So I uh, love the area. Uh, moved here really to help with a church that was forming here at the time and just loved it and decided this is where we wanted to raise our family. That's so cool. Yeah. If you guys don't know Becky, find out a way to know more about Becky because she's fantastic. And I also want to refer to her because this is, this isn't the first time that you and I have sat down. We sit down on a regular basis to do another podcast called mm -hmm. the whole podcast, which is an extension of journey to wholeness. That's why it's called the whole podcast. That's right. And I, I was talking to somebody about that last night or the other night. And I was like, you know, journey to wholeness isn't about like, um, like a typical recovery slash got to fix what's broken kind of thing because it addresses the things that are um, broken or um, afflicting us all. Like mm -hmm. we don't have to be in a recovery program because we're all recovering from something. Correct. You know? Yes. And so like not all of us are, I mean, and I, I mean, certainly some of us, right, have a, you know, uh, other issues, mm -hmm. you know, that we're recovering from, but some of us are just recovering from life. Yeah. Some of us just have uh, a wheel that just doesn't have enough air in the wheel and we didn't know it. And so we were moving along subpar, not at our right. full capacity. Yeah. And journey to wholeness helps us identify those areas so that we can move forward. Right. Like where our car is always pulling to the right. Like, right. Like the <laughs> You can't just like drive for a second with your hand off the wheel because you'll end up in a ditch. Exactly. And so and you like, don't notice it at first, but over time it gets right. worse and worse. Right. Because then your right arm is stronger than your left arm because you've been so used to holding your <laughs> wheel in such a way to, I'm telling you, this is the thing. It's a, actually a beautiful analogy. Uh, so learn more about turning a whole. So at the very least, uh, start listening more to the whole podcast because it's really, really, really good stuff. Not because of me, but because of Becky. So I promised you that we would be listening to Sean's message, um, The Division. And so let's just jump right in and listen to that first soundbite. It's actually of this struggle that Paul would write. To this very moment, we go hungry and we go thirsty. We're clothed in rags. We're beaten. We wander from place to place. We wear ourselves out with hard work. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Come on, somebody. Doesn't that sound like some of us today? When we are insulted, we answer back with kind words. For we are no more than this world's garbage. We are the scum of the earth to this very moment. It's easy to look at. Paul's 
uh, statements here and, it, and, and, and take them literally because literally, I mean, all those things are true, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I mean, beaten and forgotten and forsaken right. and, you know, destroyed and hated. And like, he means literally he's those things. Mm-hmm. He and his whatever, whoever's with him at the time are like those things imprisoned and beat. But I think figuratively we can find ourselves in that same place. Mm-hmm. Um, where especially in a pandemic like this, where like just circumstances of life alone beat us up mm-hmm. and we get fatigued, we get stay at home fatigue or going to work while everyone else is at home fatigue or not being able to go to dinner fatigue or like, like we're just fatigued for sure. And, you know, um, but even in that fatigue, our natural reaction would be, you know, to like lash out or to like mm-hmm. shut yourself down or mm-hmm. shut everyone else out. And, and that's not what Paul's saying is like, even when we're like ridiculed, even when we're hated, we love and we show right. kindness. I love that. It's really an instruction book. Mm. It's very practical in that when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling attacked and you're feeling fatigued and you're feeling hopeless at times, what do I do? Isn't that our prayer when we sit down and we're thinking on life right now and it may be very, very difficult for you or there's been seasons of difficulty which can go from week to week. You sit there asking like, God, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, are you serious with this stuff? And, And it's just point by point when you're cursed. Like, I feel like no matter where I turn, I'm just like cursed. Well, bless and it seems so counterintuitive, except that you know what you give, you return tenfold, right? And so what we point at is what we receive back, you know, when we were pointing with our yeah. hand, we're pointing back at ourselves and how that can really alleviate the stresses that we're feeling right now and the the overwhelm that we're feeling right now. And then, then he goes on to say, when you're persecuted, we endure. And I just love that. I love that he talks us up to the place that he believes that we can be in, the mm. place that he had to get to, the place he probably had to talk himself into getting yeah. to. And then when we're insulted, we answer with kind words. And it's just so a bit comical because it's the things we say to our kids all the time. You know, well, if this happens on the playground, just be kind, you know, walk away. Um, Don't hang out with those kids, you know. And in some sense, uh, we lose that when we're fatigued, right? What is the HALT, hungry, uh, angry, something, something. There's an acronym for that, that when we're pressed and we're feeling fatigued, that really all of that creative reasoning that we can do and we can work through what we're experiencing really just falls flat to the ground and we need reminding. Mm. And Paul definitely went through that. I mean, his whole life was that, and yet he persevered. And so I love that he not only gives us practical steps, but he's also encouraging us in the process. Hey, I believe this of you. I know it's hard and I know your natural inclination is not for that right now, but here's what I know you can live up to. Yeah. Yeah. I love you know, at this time, I don't think that people that um, followed Jesus were referred to as Christians. They were just followers of the way, mm-hmm. meaning the way of Christ or the way of Jesus. And I feel like that because you had said that, you know, Paul's instructions are counterintuitive to what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Like when we're insulted or when we're oppressed, when we're like our our intuition tells us to lash out. Our intel, intuition tells us to be angry, to fight back. Survival to, mode. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but that's totally Jesus. Jesus was always about counterintuitive. Yeah. Right? He was always about like, when you think it's going to be like this, go back and do the opposite. It's like that episode of uh, Seinfeld when George Costanza started doing everything the opposite of what George yes. would normally do. Yeah. And then like he started getting dates and he started getting good <laughs> jobs and he started like. He got um, smarter. Right. He got smarter. <laughs> You know, and so Jesus was all about counterculture, I think, mm-hmm. you know, he not only flipped tables, he flipped thoughts yeah. and flipped actions and yeah. behaviors. Yeah. Everything got turned on its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we, we think that Jesus is like the conservative, easy route when in actuality mm-hmm. it goes against everything that we're created to do and everything that the world is doing. Right. And so if you want to be an anarchist, man, like go the Jesus way. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that's right. You know, uh, anyway. Okay. Let's listen to the next one. Plus, he had churches that had already formed whose survival at times seemed to be hanging by a thread. And this stress, it consumed Paul. It was a stress to which he wrote, on top of everything else, there is the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
There's like a million books written about the um, the spread of the Christian church, like and how it happened. And it didn't happen with social media. It didn't happen with web pages. It didn't happen with blog posts. It didn't happen with TED Talks or Zoom calls or anything else. It happened like when four people got together at Joe's house, mm-hmm. right? For sure. You know, and then that became eight. And like, you know, eight's too many. Right. Dan, why don't you start one? So now Dan and Joe are having home church, yeah. right? And like, that's how the, I use this word in my questions, uh, the proliferation of the church happened. Right. And so, like, and it was a wildfire, like, like as close to wildfire as you can actually get. Mm-hmm. And now we sit here today, unable for the most part to get together in big churches and, and, you know, by the circumstances of the pandemic, wondering like, oh, but I miss the big church, right? And so again, things are completely flipped on mm-hmm. its ear. But now we have the, the, the benefit of social media and um, the internet and I mean like all the technology to make it easier to be together, to, it's all about being together. Sorry, this is all about being together. Yeah. You know, and so it's not about, yesterday I was having a conversation with, with our friend, uh, Nicholas Hetcher, mm-hmm. and we were talking about this subject. And I, I said, I've been having this thought lately, Nick, where I feel like if our faith has an address, you know, we're not really doing church, right? We're, we have a clubhouse, mm-hmm. you know, where like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want me, I don't want me to think of church as being the address at 1551 Lawrence drive or mm-hmm. at 139 North Broadway, mm-hmm. which is where Life church downtown meets every Sunday from six o'clock until seven forty or so. So we'd love to have you. But anyway, the, like I want my faith to have, I want them to be faces. I want there to be faces in my faith, not addresses or mm-hmm. windows or mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of that passage and I think why were they meeting in four to eight? Because they were being persecuted at the time. They couldn't mm-hmm. meet and so they had to be incognito. It couldn't look like there was a gathering and isn't that really similar yeah. to what we're experiencing now? And it also makes me think of how we, uh, you know, talk about missions when we're in our large gatherings and how they're pressing through even persecution or restrictions or whatever the situation is in that area. Maybe they can't afford a building or a place to gather. Um, and how we, we applaud them that they're championing this cause. And yet when we're challenged to do the same, we have all kinds of wrestling and resistance to actually bringing our faith home. And so if we're having that experience, what's keeping us from bringing our faith home? Maybe we feel like we're inconveniencing the people in our home who don't have faith. Maybe we we don't want to throw it in their face who we really are. You know, I, I just think of all the different things that I've heard said, or even I've felt at times that, um, we really categorized and boxed up different parts of our lives. And yet, if I want to have the light of Christ shine through me, and if I want to be his hands and feet and do the things that he asked us to do when he left this earth, um, when he asked us to spread that faith and spread that good news, uh, then I I have to start in my home. Because if I can't do that in my home, um, is it really permeating through me? No, right. it's just really shutting it down. And so if we've seen a limitation in the growth of the church, if we see it's, I don't know, shrinking back right now, I think we really need to look at and be concerned, just like Paul was, for the health and for the church itself, because we are the church, Right. Um, we talk about, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open your yep. hands, here are the people. And if we as the people aren't carrying that light and carrying the church everywhere we go, then uh, that's when we have to be concerned about the church. The church isn't the building. You're right. It isn't an address. It can't be tethered to that because natural disasters happen. They're material, temporal locations. Buildings don't last forever, at least not in yeah. the United States. Right. I don't, yeah. There's some really old buildings, but not as old as other countries. And um, even then, it takes a lot of maintenance and time and care, which can draw us away from the time and care we were asked to do, which was time and care for people. Yeah. 
I'm reminded of uh, a trip I took a couple of years ago um, with my daughter. Uh, uh, we went for a long weekend to Paris, not because I'm fancy, not because of <laughs> anything, but because I was inspired by Bob Goff's book, Love Does. And this is something he did with his kids. And so I sold an old motorbike that I had and Ray and I just went, she was 12. Cause I said, where would you like to go anywhere in the world? And so she said, I'd like to go to Paris. And so we did all the Parisy things, right? <sighs> Including standing in, you know, it amounts to a couple of like the most, you know, landmark churches mm-hmm. in Europe, right? So at the Sacre Coeur, which is on a hill in Paris and of course Notre Dame. And I love the opportunity to stand there in that space you know, because it's, I mean, you can't deny the beautifulness of it, the beauty of it, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's its like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, inspiring. Yeah. Right. Right. With these, you know, they, they built, at least Notre Dame, they built with flying buttresses. So, like, it sounds like a, a soccer play, but actually, you know, they, they built the structure to hold the walls and the ceiling up on the outside of the church so that when you were on the inside of the church... They didn't have to have floors and ceilings and floors and ceilings. You could have a multi-story height church, but you could see all the way to the most top ceiling, mm-hmm. right? To create this space where you're like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so small in this big space. Right. Right. And then they put this amazing artwork in there, including the stained glass windows, the big rose window of Notre Dame, right? Like they put all these things that built sacredness into the space. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to walk in and just feel, oh, this is so sacred. Right. I should whisper. Yeah. Everything's red velvet and marble, I should, right? Mm-hmm. We just felt small in a big space, something suitable for the house of God. But God never told us to do that. No. He never said, build me a flying buttress place, right? Light a bunch of candles and, you know, makes another thing wrong with that. But I feel like as people, what we want to do is we want to create the space, like I said, suitable for the house of God. Mm-hmm. And then also to create this space where we'd feel like this is sacred. Mm-hmm. But like, sorry, but, but you- nothing's more sacred than a conversation I have with my daughter at home about her faith. Mm -hmm. That's a sacred space. You have to think of why these places were built to begin with. Um, They were built to draw our eyes up, to remind us that there's a God who creates, who created us with the ability to create and that we are capable of these things. It doesn't mean we're supposed to all hang out there and yeah. just be in awe and stuck there. Because if you stop at the ceiling of that place, then you've missed it all together. Yeah. You have to draw your eyes up to who he is and who we are in him. And then the first thing he said to us was go. He didn't say stay, hang out right. together. Um, although there's nothing wrong with that because that fuels our faith. So the gathering of, of the faithful is absolutely necessary. Is it necessary in large gatherings? No. Is it great and awesome when you can do that? Anything bigger is better, right? Right. I mean, that's the American way. But there's something so precious about those conversations around a table with four individuals or two people really talking about what matters, where we are, how we are what the state of our mental health and physical health and emotional health is, what it is that we know about God and his good news that we need to share with others to encourage one another. That is a true work of the church. And so while we can come here and get fueled up, just like when you go to a convention, just when you go to a a football game, just when you go to any large event, the goal isn't to stay there. It's to take what you receive there and then go spread it everywhere that you can possibly spread it. Right. Yeah. A celebration of what you already have inside you. For sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. How could that be possible, Paul thought. They told him how Christians were suing other Christians in pagan courts and, and that the church was being torn apart by their conflicts. Some of them, they boasted that they were Paul's people. Some of them boasted that their loyalty was with Apollos. Some were Peter's men, whether that was by some unrecorded visit or that they just heard of his words. Some of them were even so brazen to claim that they didn't owe anything to any apostle. They belonged to Jesus. And with their arguing came arrogance. Each group thought that they were superior in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. The vision that I feel like Paul's talking about among the early church, we're talking like first century, right? I mean, this is like the first, and they're already picking fights with one another. <laughs> Yes. So it's little wonder that 
if you fast forward 2020 years or whatever, that we have division now, even among believers. Mm-hmm. We've got plenty of denominations. There's denominations within denominations, right? Like about the Lutherans and there's like the Wells Lutherans and the ELCA Lutherans and the Minnesota, nope, the Missouri Synod yes. Lutherans, right? There's like, like wait now, like... And, and that was a church that separated from the big church, right? Yeah. Like at the time, like during the Reformation, they're like, oh, we're going to go do this other thing, mm-hmm. right? And even then they couldn't like agree yeah. all on one thing. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick on the Lutherans at all. I'm just saying that, you know, as long as men are involved and there's leadership and titles and things to protect, there's going to be division. If mm. there are, if there are, if there's power to be lost or won, it's going to get screwed up. Mm. Yeah, I, when I hear that, I want to say, no, that can't be true. And maybe that's, I'm more hopeful than I realize. I'm more of an optimist than I am a pessimist, which is a long journey for me, yeah, actually. For sure. <laughs> um, I was, I'm a trained pessimist. I'm an accountant. Um, so <laughs> when I hear that, though, I hear a line that was in the sermon that where pastor said Corinth was impaired by human weakness. And so when you say, as long as there's human beings involved, there's going to be division. And I, I want to believe no, right? Because that's the hope and the good news that he brought to us, that he demonstrated for us, Jesus, when he was on this earth. And I agree with the statement though, there's human weakness involved. There's things that we don't acknowledge or deal with. And my journey to wholeness self is coming out right now. There's, there's issues and, and assumptions and perceptions that we have made that skews what we're saying today or why we're arguing to begin with. And so for me, I believe that this time of the church where we're having to get smaller for a time is a great thing because there's possibility, right? So Pastor also talked about that when we're persistent and we look at what possibilities are there, the possibility for me to get healthier. If I'm the church and you're the church and we're all the church, if we each individual get healthier in this time that we're not necessarily together in big groups, if we all come together after that, all getting a little better, a little weller, a little healthier, then maybe we can stop some of this arrogance and this fragmentation that uh, has happened in the church. Uh, I, I don't mind or care about what way you decide you think that is best to worship and gather and preach and teach um, as long as it's based on the word, right? And I think for the vast majority, we agree on more than we disagree on. What I'm talking about is the fragmentation of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's things in us that we struggle with, that we don't want to deal with, that we were able to bypass in the busyness of our lives and being able to come into a large congregation, get encouraged and be enthusiastic and then go home and ride that high for a couple of days until we hit, you know, Wednesday hump day. And then we're right. all like, oh, we need the weekend and I need my Sunday. And I'm, I'm the same. I love Sunday. I love baptism Sundays. I love presentation Sundays. I love plain old worship Sundays. I love all the Sundays. And I I look forward to those days when I I dream about it, when we all come just running into the church and hugging everyone. And I'm not even a hugger. (laughs) But what I really hope and pray for in this time that we see really what we have resorted to and become, which is very apparent and all documented on social media right now. And it will come up in your memories. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because right now we have great memories that come up. We're like, oh, I miss going to these things. But we're also going to get all the things that we're putting out there right now. And so you're planting seeds of discord as you post your rants or as you post your frustrations that are just going to return and return and return. And I, I don't know about you. There's some things in my feed from years past. I'm like, can I delete that right yeah, now? Cause yeah. I don't want to see that from year to year, but maybe I do need to see that because if we need to see really what we have, have been engaging in and what we have today, then maybe that will motivate me. Maybe that will remind me that, Hey, there are things in me that I need to address because I really got way more worked about, about that than was necessary. It was disproportionate to what was going on at the time. Uh, And where did I miss out on opportunities? Because I wasn't looking for possibilities. I was hanging on to, uh, my perception of what was 
do to me or what was normal at the time. Um, from year to year, normal changes, whether or not we've acknowledged it or not. Yeah. Right. And, um, I, I get that what we just experienced and have been experiencing happens so, so fast. It's so much, too much, many would argue, but that doesn't limit us in our possibilities. Actually, that gives us more opportunities, right? To do something positive, to make a change that we wouldn't have had the courage to make before, uh, to, to bless others and to get to know our neighbors and our family in ways that maybe we hadn't taken time for in the past. There's so many opportunities um, in that fragmentation of whatever we had constructed, yeah. right? Uh, so I, yeah, I hear that and I go, no, I can't believe that. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that we can do a lot better. Kind of like Paul, how he talked us up. Like, let's start talking up like what we're capable of uh, instead of what we've been experiencing. Because it is what it is, right? And just like the great Olaf said in Frozen, you, you got to let it go, right? Did he say that? I'm not sure if it was Olaf. Someone said let it go. Yeah, someone over said let it go. Over and over and over. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and yet it's not quite sticking yet, is it? We should play it on the loudspeakers. <laughs> right. I love that. You you mentioned discord and I, uh, it's such a great word uh, for today. Like I feel like too many of us sow discord, right? Like we just, we sow the seeds of divisiveness and enmity and, um, Listen, if, if you're listening and you identify more as a political party person or a amendment defender or, you know, whatever than you do as a follower of Jesus, you might want to just like skip to the next thing. Because I'm here to tell you that if you're a Jesus person, at least this is my opinion. This isn't the opinion of my guests, nor is the opinion of leadership of Life Church Green Bay. <clears throat> but in my opinion... The very last people that should be sowing discord and enmity are people that say that they follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. That, um, and it's and every day it gets worse. Every day it gets worse. I feel like I talk about this, and then every day it just gets worse. There's another thing to sow discord and enmity over, and that's a sin. Enmity is a sin, and so we're called to be a light on a hill, not a patriot with a gun mm -hmm. defending the American way. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. I love America. I love mm -hmm. America. But like, but if you're, but if you're sowing discord and enmity to do that, I don't, I don't know that that, that would be Jesus's way. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't stop people from going on social media and calling other people idiots or, you know. Well, it wasn't Jesus's way, right? I, I think the people at the time all expected him to come in charging with, you know, weapons and defending them and, and, rescuing them. And what did he do? He entered into the city on a donkey. Right. <laughs> on donkey. Donkey. <laughs> and then he died. Yep. Totally not what they yep. were anticipating yep. and expecting. Not and even yet, his apostles. Right? No, absolutely not. And so it felt like they had got blindsided. And yet he was looking at the greater purpose. He was looking all the way back in history and all the way forward in history. And he could have done that absolutely could have done that and we would have cheered for a day but instead he took the higher way and we cheer for an eternity yeah right yeah and again it's such a jesus way such a counterintuitive counter way you know instead of taking the it's the high road that looks like the lowest possible mm -hmm. road. you know a donkey is the lowest possible way crucifixion was the lowest way to get killed right Right? Right. Like the lowest way. He didn't come to win. Like this was Andy Stanley said this. We didn't come to win the world's game. Mm -hmm. He came with his own game. Right. And, you know, those, the world's game, the world, world's game mm -hmm. this way doesn't, doesn't <laughs> apply. It doesn't apply. Right. It doesn't apply. It hasn't worked. No. Nope. It's not working. Right. It's making things a lot worse. And I get it. It can feel overwhelming to swim upstream and be counterculture role, countercultural, yeah. uh, and feeling the pressure of taking a stand and, you know, all those things, the, the, the hill defending the hill versus being the light on the hill. Yeah. Right. 
it's hard. I, I get it. And it's, the question is, where do you start? And you start with you. You start with how well you are and where you do you have peace each morning? Are you worried and sick and fearful? Um, if you are, then there's some things that need to get corrected in you. But also, how is your household? And then how are your neighbors? I mean, do you argue with your neighbor and uh, fight over grass blades or do in a, in a bush that's on the property line? Or have you had conversations and listened to their stories and why maybe they're fighting over a blade of grass and yeah. a bush. I'm getting all worked up here listening to you because I, I feel like, because I've had people tell me we need to defend the way of our faith. We have to defend our the 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 principles of our faith, the goodness of our faith, the pureness of our faith. And then I think I think about you know, like you said, Jesus is the example, right? He's in the garden with his boys, mm-hmm. right? And then the 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 temple guard comes. So this it wasn't like in our heads we have the Roman soldiers coming, mm-hmm. right, with their furry hats, like their brush hats. <laughs> but it's not. It's no. the it's the it's the temple guard who comes. So the the policemen of the church come to get Jesus, right? Wow. And Paul's like, "Get out! All you you can't take my Jesus!" Right? And he lops right. off somebody's ear. Someone named Van Gogh, I think, maybe? Yeah. Nope, that's a different story. I I think so. Anyway, (laughs) so lops over your juice and says, hey, brother, no, that's not the way we're doing this. We're not doing that. So how is that not an example for us today? Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to be drawing swords mm-hmm. and defend, defending like the purity of our faith. Like God's got this. Mm-hmm. Right. Our, 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 it says it in the Bible that our fight isn't our fart. Is what I said. <laughs> I, our fight isn't against principalities and governments and political parties and whatever and movements. That's not who our fight is against. Our fight is against the spiritual, right? Like this. Right. And so in the end, we know that that's the big battle and God's got it. We know how it ends. In fact, I'll just tell you to re- jump right now to the end of Revelation, sure. I guess, right? And because we know how that story ends. We do. So we don't have to fight any fight. Mm-hmm. Right. And the danger of when we think we have to take up that fight, the fact that you said the temple guards. So the church guards, those who had assigned themselves as the guardians of yes. the church to defend right. it against this man who was speaking Counterculturally, right? Who was saying, "No, we're going to lead in peace and in love and in grace and in mercy and in consideration of our fellow man, even on the Sabbath." We're going to feed them, even yeah. though that was sacred food. Right? What's more sacred than actually caring for your fellow man? And they couldn't take it. <laughs> right. So they came and did the work of not even the Roman soldiers. They right. did not have to do that. Right. The nation. The Roman nation did not have to come and take care of that because the church of the time had decided to be the guards and the militia and do it for them. Yeah, that's so big. Scary. But he consistently saw in the Corinthian church that they either couldn't or they simply wouldn't forget the things that laid behind. And in doing that, the church was distracted by things that weren't primary. And that distraction it created division, much like we're experiencing today. I love when he says, wouldn't or couldn't, because I think that's the question for all of us. Mm. Maybe we want to do things differently. Maybe we're tired of the division. Maybe we're tired of the fighting and the arguing and we're fatigued, right? And so we want to shut everything down. In fact, many of us have. We've either blocked people we couldn't handle the discussion with or we're just not on certain social media platforms or watching the news. And you have no idea that there's a hurricane pending on Houston right now because and fires in Colorado and in, in California because it's just too much much. And so what strikes me there is maybe you started out with you wouldn't, you wouldn't let up because this was what you learned that this was what was right to do, to defend your faith, to stand up for what is right. Right. But maybe that's taken a side street or taken, you know, a different path that you're not sure, or you don't remember how that even started, but the couldn't part is now kicking in. And I, I don't feel like this is right and I don't feel like this is working, but Becky, Scott, I don't know what else to do right mm, now. Yeah. The world is on fire in my perspective. I can't look at it anymore because I don't know what different path to take. And so 
what happens when we're overwhelmed is we can get hyper-focused. We can get hyper-focused on the things that we do believe we can control. And so maybe that's where you are right now. And so you're divided because you've isolated yourself because you're hyper-focusing on things that maybe don't really matter anymore because you at least feel like you can have a say or do something about that uh, in the midst of things that just feel overwhelming right now. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Hmm. Because I feel like if we if we if we get distracted from focusing on what's primary, you know, at LC Downtown we talk a lot about how you know the things that we're supposed to do can be boiled down to three words: love and love and go. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. That's both an Old Testament and a New Testament commandment. I love that. Right? Love our neighbor as ourselves, even the ones we don't like or don't look like. And then go and tell the nations, right? Go and tell everyone what I just told you, mm-hmm. right? Love and love and go. And so if you're, if you're confused about how you can defend your faith, you know, it's not with a sword. No. It's with kindness. Right. It's with caring. And like, if you think you're messed up, what's happening right now to these kids that live in at-risk neighborhoods that can't go to school, mm-hmm. right? Their parents are working or their parents are otherwise engaged and now they're home alone, right? They, I don't know, they they don't have a computer. They don't right. have internet access. They mm-hmm. don't have the safety of school for seven hours a day, mm-hmm. right? That instead they're at home where maybe, like who even knows? Like I'm not assuming that all things are bad at home, but sometimes there's bad st- stuff at home. Yeah. <clears throat> go do something for them. Right. Find out a way to deliver meals to five kids every day for the rest of the year. Do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't take yourself off of social media. Don't post about Black Lives Matter. Don't post about, you know, Biden or Trump. Don't post about like take a second and go do something for someone. Right. That's what I mean. That's that's not confusing. That's not hard in a world that seems to have changed overnight where nothing seems the same. One thing remains, right? That hasn't changed. What's primary is still primary. It was primary before all of this happened. It's primary today. I love that. Love, love, and go. Love others as you love yourself. So again, I'm going to press you to love yourself. What is going on inside of you that you are dissatisfied or disgusted with right now, that you're afraid to admit, um, that you've entered into or walked into or have been doing that you're not proud of right now, and you're not sure how you got there so that you can love others. And if you're not good at loving yourself, start by loving others because that'll teach you to love yourself a little better because sometimes we're even better at that. And then go, what's primary is still primary and all the rest of the chaos in the world. It doesn't, it, let it be, let it go. You, you can't do anything about what's happening in another city right now. You can't. And yeah. so, um, complaining about it on Facebook and getting into arguments with your neighbors and your extended neighbors isn't helping the situation, but are you making where you live better? Yeah. You yourself in you, cause that's where you live in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community. Are you loving? That's what's primary. So in the midst of everything else. I think that's exactly the example that Jesus gave us, right? He was being persecuted and chased down and run out of cities and, and that didn't change what he was doing. He would get on another mount or on a boat and preach the good news and love and heal others by letting them know about this good news and about this other way and about God. And, and then he just kept moving forward and he lived in that. Paul did the same thing, right? My goodness persecution and and hurt and pain and suffering and yet he just continued on doing that telling people the good news loving them and then encouraging us to do the same in that process i mean not just for the people he was talking to in in corinth but he wrote it down in letters that has passed down all the way through generations to us to encourage us as well love stands the test of time that's what's going to last through that's what's going to win over others for sure making forcing we've seen this in conflict around the world trying to force others to believe a faith or a way of living or being by force has never worked it just doesn't work it may work for a time i will give you that but if you want something that's long lasting if you really want to defend your faith and the teachings of jesus christ 
that's best done by love. Yep, I love that because I feel like somewhere in the Bible, and I should know, I don't know. Somewhere in the Bible it talks about like, well, what, what, what what's going to happen when we get there? And for some of us, we're going to hear, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." Mm-hmm. And if you think for one second that there's a, a PowerPoint that's going to show all the great memes you posted on Facebook or the tweets that you retweeted about how these people are dumb and you're smart and your way is better than their way, you're completely wrong. Right. That's not the well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm-mm. Right? With the slideshow. So how much of your slideshow is going to be you caring for someone else that doesn't deserve it or didn't know it was coming or, right. you know what I mean? Like, can't repay you. Mm-hmm. That's the slideshow. How show. many times did you bless others when you were cursed? How yes. many times did you answer with kind words when you were insulted? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the slideshow. That's, That's the PowerPoint. It. Right. So I just feel like we're so raw right now because of COVID and because of the political season and I mean, I mean, got social unrest and like we're raw and we're tired of not getting our way. Mm-hmm. And then we, but then we double down and like, I'm just, why can't anything ever go my way? Why can't you guys do it my way? Why can't everyone see it my way? And then that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do it his way. And here's the thing. Those words are built up frustration, right? So you ignore it, you ignore it, you ignore it. Ignoring it is not actually dealing with it. Ignoring it isn't actually doing something to change the climate of what we're experiencing. And so the more that you go and do in small things, right? So inch by inch, um, step by step, every small, what seems like minute token, insignificant act of good and kindness and generosity adds up so that pent up frustration you're feeling is going to be dissipated as you deposit those small seeds every single day so that you don't get to that point where you're in that state and now you're doing those things and then 15 minutes later you're like why did I do that why did I say that or a week later right and now you're even more isolated than you were before so it's this nasty unhealthy cycle that we don't have to stay on the treadmill of we can get off by actually doing what he asks us to do and planting those seeds not just for our community and what's going on around us but for ourselves if you want peace if you want rest if you want to have bright days instead of dark days then start planting those seeds even when it doesn't feel good and it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel right and you feel like you have no seeds to give like the smallest, the smallest act will start to build so that you don't get to that point. And the enemy is limiting our effectiveness with the spirit of fatigue. We are exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that spirit of fatigue has slithered in on the back of a satanic spirit of shame, where each side is attacking the other, where each side is shaming the other for simple things like shaking hands or standing too close, for wanting to send their kids back to school or not wanting to send their kids back to school. And it has suppressed us to the point that many of us have become afraid of one another. And so now, rather than taking the opportunity to pattern after Paul's model of growing God's kingdom house to house and person to person, some of you have shrunk back. You've distanced yourselves. Some of you have been shamed into isolation and that shame is breaking humanity down. And it's a strategic attack by our adversary to keep us divided because he knows where there is division, there is no progression. Where there is division, victory cannot take place because every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. That no city or no house that is divided against itself will be able to stand. I love that part. Right? (laughs) Pastor's preaching my jam there. All right, let's start with this. If you're feeling emotionally or physically or spiritually exhausted and you don't know what to do next, you need to be at Journey to Wholeness this fall. Because we have practical and scriptural truth that will help you to recover from that, but also have the tools to move forward. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, like you know know what to do and you know that there are things inside of you that are causing you to have reactions and to engage in this division and, and this disruption that is happening, then get yourself to Journey to Holland. Okay, that's, that's my only plug. Second <laughs> is this. Division is Satan's work. It is. Shame is Satan's work. 
Satan, Satan means the accuser. So whenever there's accusation in there and it attacks the dignity and worth and the integrity of another person, you are on the wrong track. You have gotten behind the wrong flag and you need to flee immediately. Here's the thing. We cannot be defeated. We are made in the image of God. We are creators. We are strong and worthy and good. When you are convinced that you are not or your neighbor is not, that is Satan at work who is causing division in you. He cannot defeat us. He can only convince us to defeat ourselves. A city with fortified walls can only be brought down if it can divide within itself. Mm -hmm. If you can bring sickness or unhealth or lack of resources within the walls, within ourselves, me, you individually, or between us as a church itself, if you can cause division, those walls will fall themselves. You just have to sit with your drink and your seat outside of the walls and watch it crumble. And that's what he's doing right now. And I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I feel like, I feel like we've talked about this somewhere. I don't remember where I have so many conversations that I'm starting to lose track of them all, but that Satan can't harm us physically. Right. He doesn't operate in the physical world. Right. He operates in our head and in our heart. And he convinces us of things. What did you call him? The great something? The something? The endure? No. What did you say? Was Satan was the accuser? Accuser. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> right. Where and he he does that both ways. He accuses us mm-hmm. and convinces us to accuse others. Yes. And so uh, that's why he's the liar. That's why because he'll tell us lies. He tells us on lies, and then we take those lies and we write our own story. We make our own narrative mm-hmm. about ourselves and about others. Yes. We're better than them. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not as good as them. Both are horrible places to be. Mm -hmm. I'm better than somebody else or someone else is better than me. Right. Whatever way. Still attacks the dignity, worth and integrity of a person. Right. Yours or someone else's. Yep. Yep. And it's not right. And so, you know, if you're out arguing, right. Or if you're out posting or if you're out, you know, doing any of these things where you're either tearing yourself down or more and more likely tearing others down. Right. You're not, like you said, you're carrying the wrong flag. Yeah. Put it down. Think about this. So shame is so dangerous and so many of us struggle with it. Unfortunately for a time, uh, leaders use shame as a way to keep people in conformity, right? Oh, shame on you. I think of the church lady on SNL and she's like, could that be Satan? Right. Right. And it was this shaming of uh, actions or things or dress or whatever it was that was so funny to us on SNL. And it was only so funny because we could relate to it because we had experienced something like it. But when we have shame, then we believe others believe something about us. Think about that. So your perception is not reality, right? It's your reality. You're living it. You're experiencing it. But it is not necessarily reality, the truth, or any facts at all. But when we have shame, we're trying to protect and and defend ourselves. So right away, we're in this war with ourselves and our neighbors. Um, But you project your beliefs about yourselves onto others. So if your belief or if if you're afraid that someone believes something negative about you, that they... um, don't believe your intentions are good. They, they don't believe you're intelligent. Just think of all the different things that you're not intelligent, that you're not capable, uh, that you're weak, right? All of these things we may fear. So we feel shame about that because yeah. we think other people think this about us. So we react in kind. They may not have had those thoughts about you at all. And yet shame does that, right? It taints not only your view of yourself, it taints your view of others' view of yourself. And then you start to act in a way that is not characteristic of who you were when you were 10 or seven, right? That person that you were who was innocent and pure and generous and kind and all the things that God deposited in you when he put you into the womb of your mother now gets tainted. And so we start to react toward each other because of the shame that has been inflicted on us. And sometimes that shame is not inflicted by someone directly across from us. It's something that was deposited in our history, in our storyline that now we're creating a narrative around. Mm-hmm. And so we're fighting fights that don't even exist sometimes. Yeah. And the, and the person on the other end won't even know it. No. Like, you know, like we'll come at them and they're like, I don't even know what's happening right now, but now they'll get defensive and attack sure. you. And now this escalates and Satan, like you said, has got a beach chair with an umbrella and you know, like a little tropical drink and he's yes. just watching the whole thing happen. Giggling the whole yep. time with his popcorn. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Like Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. That meme. I love that meme where he's like from the thriller anyway, but I totally feel that way. I totally, I totally feel the same way that, 
you know, it re- in a weird way, it reminds me of. Sorry, we keep going back to social media, but there's like that social media thing, like where there's somebody. Is this thing blue or is it gray? Yeah, like dress <laughs> this color, yeah. or that color, or whatever. And so some people will see it one way, and some people will see it another way. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's because some people can imagine that that item, if it, whether it was the dress or whatever, is in the shade, and that's what color blue looks like in the shade, or mm-hmm. you know, black looks like blue in the shade, or whatever, right? Right. And so there's all these other. Uh, circumstances that affect the decision and so but people are like no way you're stupid that this, this dress clearly is blue or this dress clearly is gray or whatever right. the, you know what I mean and I feel like the same thing happens when we feel like we know the truth right and you know I just I, there's one truth one right? truth one mm-hmm. truth anything else isn't worth fighting over and we just have to acknowledge that we all see in different shades right yeah. all of our experiences are different we're all different parts of the same body. So we were created and designed to see a little differently. There's still one truth, but when we acknowledge that our perceptions are different from each other, that our truth uh, is being viewed, the truth is being viewed from a different angle, now we need to have a conversation, don't we? Because if we are really in a fight and we're carrying the wrong flag and we need to reassemble ourselves, we need to start listening to each other more because there's something that you see that I don't see for whatever reason that is. But if we can gather together and bring it all the information that we have and with wisdom move forward and decide how it is that we're going to advance, man, isn't that a much better way? And don't we then make progress. And pastor said that in a sermon where there is division, there is no progress. And if you're tired of the state of the world today and you want to see progress, the only way we're going to achieve that is to start listening to one another and stop participating in Satan's game because that's the game we're playing right now. And, and fully full on, we need to withdraw ourselves and actually assemble ourselves again so that we can actually advance the faith that we so adamantly are trying to defend, uh, but then do it Jesus's way. Uh, because we know that that's the way that wins. We talked about that earlier. We know the end. And so why aren't we participating in the way that wins rather than spending all of our time and energy and resources into the world's way that hasn't worked and that really is to our detriment. Right. And Jesus's way is not with swords, but with love. Mm-hmm. Unconditional, you know, regardless of the circumstances. We bless and we answer with kind words. Yeah, that's it. If you're not doing Start that, there. Right? Drop your flag. Mm-hmm. All right. That was good. We're done. All right. That was good. Thanks, <laughs> Becky. I'm glad that you were here. Thank so, you for having me. You were a great guest. I hope you can come back again another time. That would be fun. So listen, if you enjoyed this podcast or feel like someone you know would benefit from listening to these words, please share the podcast with friends and family. You can always subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast channels. Also, if you feel like this was worthwhile, please consider visiting lifechurchgreenbay.com slash give. Uh, because uh, we love doing these podcasts. It's a new way for us to communicate with our church family. And so, but it takes a little bit of resources to make these podcasts happen. So we'd really appreciate your support. So until next time, uh, my name is Pastor Scott. Uh, We'll see you again later.